the life-changing power of personal choices. If there is one message that I wish that all of the young people in all of the churches in Texas and Alabama and everywhere else would begin to fully grasp, it is this simple reality. Your choices matter. No matter your age, you make decisions. And no, not all of them are going to change the world if you order a number five at Taco Bell or a number six. So nobody should ever order a number five over a number six. But I think there's this tendency among young people, and I have two teenagers at home, and we work on this, that, you know, there's this drifting that can happen in the church, but that's something that adults do. You know, you grow up and you're, you've got your boat. We talked about that a little bit this morning in Hebrews chapter 2. And, and you're sort of drifting away. And if you're 10 years old or 12 years old or 15 or 18 or still living at home at 21, you're just sort of in your parents' boat, you know. And so their decisions really make a difference. But yours, you're 16, maybe not so much. If I could get you to leave here busting one myth all week, it is that. Your Choices matter. Everything you do and say affects some outcome, some change in a relationship. It affects your parents and how they're able to operate. And we're going to talk about that tonight. I talked to Brother Hutto about this a few weeks ago. I said, when would be a good night to just address our young folks, to talk to our preteens and our teens? And he said Sunday night. And I think tonight a lot of you are headed over to somebody's house. If my name recognition was better, I would say his name and he'd be so pleased. But that's where we're going. And we're going to talk more about this when we get there, so maybe this will work out that we brought this forth tonight, but we're going to talk about it. And to help with that, basic Bible principles. You do need your Bibles tonight, and you would do well to have that thing open to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, no matter your age, if you can read, Ephesians chapter 6 is where you ought to be. And we will begin there in just a moment. We're going to look at a series of really, really simple Bible ideas, walking through Proverbs a little bit. But to help with that, and to help our young people see... The life-changing power of personal decisions. Good ones, let me just be optimistic, that can change your life for the better forever. And the not-so-good ones, I want to tell you a story tonight. Share an event from 1997. Humble, Texas, where I was going to church at the time, 1997. That's 20 years ago, right? I'm supposed to be good at math. There was a murder trial. A 22 year old young man was on trial for murdering a 16 year old boy i was worshiping i was young myself and i was worshiping there at the church in humble and my mentor preacher there mr steve fontenot he's still there he was on that jury for that trial and after he had finished handing down a verdict that put that 22-year-old away for 60 years, minimum of 30. He's still got at least 10 to go. He came back the next Sunday and he preached this lesson. I was about 19 at the time, and it hit me so strongly in terms of the reality of the things that I do actually matter now. 
that I've lived with it a long time and taken the opportunity to preach a derivative of it at every opportunity, and that's what we'll be doing tonight. Our lesson is simply titled this, 60 Years and a Dead Boy, because that was the outcome of those events. One young man, 60 years in a penitentiary, and a 16-year-old boy was dead. And as I unfold and unpackage for you the story as we move through our study of the Scriptures as well tonight, I would just say that nobody saw this coming. The parents of the 16-year-old did not expect to have a funeral. The 16-year-old and his two buddies who were with him did not expect to be injured, all three, and one of them dead. And the 22-year-old did not expect that he would be in 2017 in a prison somewhere 20 years in. Nobody saw it coming, but they did not properly weigh the gravity of their choices. And I'm talking about both sides on this one the 22-year-old and the 16-year-old, they didn't weigh the fact that even at that young age, it matters. And now they know it, unfortunately, all too well. Three high school students, one college student, and we're going to look at it tonight. Let's begin with a Bible passage in Ephesians 6. Five things I want to share with our young people. I will not complicate this with heavy-duty machinery here, just very simple points, and I'm going straight to the heart of where a parent of four wants to be. Honor, please. Honor and respect and listen to and heed the direction of your mom and your dad. In Ephesians chapter 6, and by the way, I said this at lunch today, as long as she's eating food out of my refrigerator, she's going to do what I tell her, or him, or the next Tim, or the now I've got four of them. But what we want you to do is understand that process. We want you to respect that there's a design in place on purpose. And it's given to us very simply here in Ephesians 6, you should know it well. In verse 1, children... Obey your parents in the Lord, in connection with the will of the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, because mom and dad are always right. That's not what the verse says. Because you will always agree with their decisions. Probably never. The text says, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's the right thing to do. It's you making the right kind of choice to listen to mom and dad. And look, I know that there are a lot of parents here, very godly, good advice, great leadership. And some of you may not have very godly parents, but most of them still care about your well-being. Honor that. Listen to them. Look at the next verse. Honor, Old Testament quotation, your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Doesn't that sound optimistic? Honor your father and mother comes with a promise? What's that great promise? Oxygen. If you honor your mom and dad, you get to keep living. That's the Old Testament law, not the New Testament law. The Old Testament law was it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. You get to keep living and actually have a blessed life. How do I get to keep living and have a blessed life? You do what your parents tell you. You honor your father and your mother. Now, that is some old law business there. But that principle is being drawn forth to obey your parents in the Lord. Now, we're going to look at some Proverbs that are going to help us with this a little bit. So, go back into your Old Testament with me, please, and head to Proverbs chapter 23. You may even want to put a marker or something back there in Proverbs. We'll have a few of those to look at tonight. Proverbs chapter 23. And I would just like to pick out for a moment verse 23. Proverbs 23, 23. 
Buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. What a great passage. Makes all the sense in the world, doesn't it? If it's true, I need as much truth as I can get. If it's wise and it instructs me and it helps me understand, get all of that you can and don't give any of that away. But contextually, what is he talking about? Look at the verse before it. Listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. Verse 24, the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice and he who sires a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad and let her rejoice who gave birth to you. This text is about buying and collecting the truth and the wisdom and the instruction that mom and dad can give you. So that they can be happy. You know, I did not understand this. I was that teenager. Any of that teenagers in the room? Who when I wanted to make a decision that was all about me, and my parents tried to say, we don't like that, I would tell them, Mom and Dad, this is not about you. I'm not trying to hurt you. This is not about how you feel. This is just about me doing what I have to do. I now have two teenagers, and I wish I could go back in time and slap myself vehemently. Look at verse... 25. Let your parents be happy. This is not our sermon tonight, but there's another proverb that says that you're supposed to be the olive tree around our tables, producing to fill our stomachs with what we need. We're parents. You want to have your own gift, arrow, and olive tree? Grow up and get married and have your own. But you're supposed to be gifts to us. Psalms talks about that. So what this text is teaching is you want to listen to your parents' instruction because they are wise, because they are more experienced, and because they deserve to be happy. And Proverbs 6 adds a little bit to this. Look in Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 20, please. In Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 20, My son, verse 20, observe the commandment of your father. Do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, here's some good news. They will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk to you. Talk to your parents. Ask them questions. Confide in them. Listen to them. I didn't learn this till many years later, but not only do your parents probably know more about life than you do, they actually know more about you than you do, which is kind of a weird thing when you figure that out. Honor your parents. This 22-year-old Vietnamese boy, on trial for a period of time, his parents, well, his mother came. His father couldn't even come. He was so distraught, so hurt, so upset by how many times he had instructed his boy to do differently. Don't go there. Don't do that. Come back home. Make it right. And the boy would not listen to him. The father had left Vietnam eight years earlier to come and give his son a better life. And his son would not listen to him. He couldn't even bring himself to attend the trial. You want some good advice for a great life? Listen to your mom and dad. Nobody loves you like they do. Nobody, nobody loves you like they do. Can I give you a second thing to think about? You know, it wasn't just the boy 
who got away from his parents' instruction, there were other people involved too. Isn't this usually the case? It's not just a boy who drifted out and stumbled upon some bad behavior. Ultimately, it goes back to a passage that we all know very, very well from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, Bad company or evil companions corrupt good morals. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived is a power phrase in that text that suggests that many of us think it won't affect me. No matter who I hang out with at school or no matter who I date or no matter who I surround myself with, I will rise above it. I've been raised in a Christian home. I go to the Oak Mountain Church of Christ. Brother Bob is preaching. No matter whom I surround myself with, I'm going to do well. Dr. Phil would say, how's that working out for you? Anybody ever heard of Mr. Maurice Claret? I mean, I, I'm in a, a college state. We were talking about that at lunch. You know, Texas, we have pro teams. So we're kind of collegiately engaged, and we're kind of pro-engaged, and we're all over the place. But you guys, college. So you probably remember Maurice Claret, running back, national championship, Ohio State, who did not have a successful NFL career because of his acquaintances. The people with which he hung out with drew him away from his discipline. It drew him away from doing what was right. It got him in trouble with the law. It got him expelled from school. And so now he travels around. He's in his early 30s, 33, I think. He travels around giving speeches. And one of his famous lines is what I want you to think about tonight because it jives directly with a passage we know very, very well. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. You will always... Be affected by those with whom, 2 Corinthians 6, you yoke yourself. You go with and move with. You see this 22-year-old, and you have to sympathize with the idea of a young man at the age of 14 coming out of Vietnam, coming to America, trying to sort of make his way in a new culture. And so he sort of was instantly connected with other young men who were of that same heritage and, and all these different things that were going on. So he got mixed up with the wrong crowd and he joined this gang in Harris County. Harris County is our big county where the city of Houston is. And he had a gang tattoo with five dots on it. Nothing too conspicuous, just five dots. And I think the first dot stood for friendship. Doesn't that sound good? But the last ones were crime and violence. It was one of the most dangerous gangs in the United States. There were 18 known members in Harris County in 1997, 10 of them already in jail for murder. Make that, make that 11. Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. If the Lord allows us this week as we have it designed, and again, thank you for the prayers that you've, you've lifted up on behalf of my family, my father-in-law, and we're going to kind of see how that works out over the next day or two, and it may affect the length of the meeting. But if everything works out as planned, we are definitely going to revisit this idea, bad company corrupts good morals on, I believe, Wednesday night, when we talk about being aware of our friends. So we're going to definitely talk about that. And what I want you to see tonight is, there is a group of people around you with whom you might associate where the script has already been written. And I think you'll see what I'm talking about. Look in Proverbs chapter 1, please, beginning in about verse 8. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teachings. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. So you can put those two verses under the category of point number one. But now look at this. 
My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole, as those who go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. I have a Bible in my margin. I put, yeah, right. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path, for their feet run to evil and they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. Now let me just say, this is not a seminar to prevent our young people from delving into dangerous, violent gangs. I trust that that's not in the future option for the people in the room, although it's possible, I suppose. But I would tell you this, what is being described in Proverbs 1 are sinners who don't care who they hurt. Would you think about that tonight? Yes, they were extra violent and they attacked people and they robbed people and they took spoil. But the point is, they didn't care who got hurt as long as they got what they wanted. Young people, listen very, very carefully to this. All of your friends and your acquaintances should run through a filter. Do they care who they hurt? Would you listen to that, please? If you have friends, co-workers, students, neighbors who are disrespectful to their parents and they don't care if it hurts their parents, that's not a friend for you. If you have friends who date other people and they put pressure on them to do things that they don't want to do because they don't really care what that person thinks, they want what they want, that is not the person for you. People who gain by not caring about other people is the category that's being described for us in Proverbs chapter 1. We have to run every friend through that exact and very filter. Quick passage, Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13, verses 20 and 21 will suffice well for us tonight. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20, He who walks with wise men, I know this is going to just be really complex here, so let's go really slow on this, you ready? He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Adversity pursues sinners. But the righteous will be rewarded with prosperity. I like verse 21. Everybody likes verse 21. The righteous will be rewarded with prosperity. And if we live a life of sin, we're just asking for problems. How do we decide which one of those two we're going to be? Back up again to verse 20. You walk with the wise, you're righteous. And God can bless you greatly. But if we choose the companion of fools, guess what? I'm a fool. I have the choice of my companions. I don't know what would have happened with this 22-year-old or this 16-year-old or how the story, which I haven't fully told you yet, but how the story would have panned out. But if he had listened to his parents early on, or if he, or, just an or, he had not associated with people who did not care about other people, somebody's not in jail today and somebody else is still alive. I know that. At least from this incident. Let me tell you a little bit more. Turn our attention to those three 16-year-olds for a moment. Are you in the book of Proverbs? Would you back up a couple of chapters and look with me at Proverbs chapter 10, verse 23. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 23. Our third observation as the story moves along, 
doing wrong, Proverbs 10.23, this version says, doing wickedness or wrong is like sport to a fool. And so is wisdom to a man of understanding. A man of understanding loves doing wise things. But what I want you to see is doing the wrong thing is fun to a fool. And I wish I'd have taken that more seriously when I was a teenager, folks. If sin is fun, I'm a fool. And I'm on the wrong pathway. Let me tell you what happened. I think it was a Friday night. It was about 11 o'clock. Three young Hispanic boys, all range, I think they were all 16, are in a car. Driver, passenger, kid in the back. They're driving down a road in Houston, and they are about to pull up to a red light. And they notice in the car beside them at the red light, a young man, a young person, somebody there alone with their window rolled down. So these boys want to have a little fun, you know. They're boys. Boys will be boys, right? Don't we say that? So they have this idea. They pull up to the red light. He rolls down his window. He grabs a handful of change. And he throws it into the face of the boy in the other car. And they peel off through the red light. Now that was funny, wasn't it? They thought it was. They laughed and squealed about it as they tore off down the road. But doing the wrong thing is sporty to a fool. And they were fools. They didn't know that the boy in the other car was a 22-year-old Vietnamese boy in a gang, the most dangerous in Harris County, and he had a weapon with him. He accelerated up beside the car and he fired shots into the vehicle. All three boys were hit. One of them is dead. Now, here's the thing about that story. I don't want to use scare tactics tonight. That was not fair. That was not fair. It was dumb. They did something dumb. You know, doing wrong was hilarious. They were being foolish. They're boys. 16-year-olds are foolish, right? They should not have done it, but they should not have died for it. I mean, you would agree with that, right? It was dumb. But the punishment should not have been death. So I'm going to tell you something your parents are probably already telling you. There is no real equity in crime and punishment out in the real world. You can make a small mistake, and you can suffer unbelievably unfair consequences. You make big mistakes and suffer little consequences. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of arbitrary at times. He should not have died for this, but he also should not have done it. What does it teach us? Doing the wrong thing, there's never a right time for that. There's never innocent, sinful fun. There is never innocent, sinful fun. Open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes. We're in Proverbs. Let's just scoot over just a little bit. Solomon had a lot to tell us. If we had more time tonight, we'd look at his life. His life had a lot to tell us as well. But our focus is upon his writings, and so you are in chapter 11 of Ecclesiastes. You ought to be looking there in verse 9, and I want to be really optimistic. I know kids are going to make mistakes. I know those three boys should not have been out at 11 p.m. on a Friday night, and they should not have been doing that. And there was some evidence there that maybe they disobeyed their parents a little bit as well. But I understand that young men and women will enjoy the vitality of their youth, have a good time. Verse 9, 
Ecclesiastes 11.9 Rejoice, young man, during your childhood. Let your heart be pleasant during the days of your manhood and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Look, we're not trying to shut you down and lock you in a closet. I tried it. They got out after two days. I want to do it. I want to protect them from everything. I'm one of those dads, right? Can't do it. We want you to have a lot of fun. We want you to be engaged and great. We want you to have friends. We're not trying to lock you out of friends. We want you to have friendships, relationships. We want you to enjoy the vitality. And if you have impulses and creativity in your heart, we want you to share all those things. But please note the rest of the verse. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. But I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a teenager, though. Now, I know that once I get old, you know, like in my 30s, I know what you're thinking. Then God will start judging everything, and then the boat starts drifting, and then there are real consequences. Then it's going to matter. If this story and countless others like it can teach us anything, it's that everyone who has reached what we call that age of accountability is going to be accountable for the deeds of that age. Is, is that right? I mean, we baptize them at 12, and then we tell them their choices don't matter until they're 20. I, I think we're, something's gone wrong there. If you've reached an age of being accountable for your behavior, then there will be an accountability for your behavior, I guess. Now look, mistakes will be made. We're not trying to hold everybody to a perfect standard, because I can't hold myself to anywhere near that perfect standard. But we need to understand that while you're enjoying yourself, verse 9, God will bring Acts to judgment. And look, because the world is such a dark place, it's not always going to be fair. So what do we do? We do the best we can. We be as righteous as we can. We surround ourselves with the best people that we can. Chapter 12, verse 1. Even in our youth, whatever your age, remember also your Creator. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. One day you will not have this youth in vitality, and you will miss those days, so use it. Use it for the Lord. Look, if our fun, just to make this really practical and then we'll move on, if our fun is profanity or immorality sexually or substance abuse or watching movies filled with sin and violence or irreverence to God, if that's our fun, we are asking for trouble because sin is fun to a fool every time. Let me give you something else. Proverbs 29, please. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 22. I want you to change perspectives just a moment, and I want you to think about the 22-year-old in the other car. And you're, you're not a gang member, okay? You're, you're just driving along, 11 o'clock, you're headed somewhere, and it's really hot outside. It's, uh, it's Houston, Texas, that's where it is, and it's, uh, it's humid. And your air conditioner is not working well, and you've got your window rolled down. And you park at this red light, you stop, and some kid comes up and yells. And you turn, and you get hit by 27 cents in pennies in the face. And they drive off. How are you feeling right about now? I would be livid. I would be furious. Angry. I'd have a right to be angry, I think. I get that this boy was infuriated, humiliated, embarrassed. He had all that, uh, you know, teens and 20-something humiliation angst to it. And payback seems like a necessity. I would say this. 
An angry man makes every situation worse when that anger is not an anger of godliness. Open your Bibles there. Maybe you're there already. Proverbs chapter 29, please. And verse 22, an angry man stirs up strife and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. Well, if he's angry, somebody's already messed up. Wouldn't you say that? He's angry because somebody messed up. In this case, somebody hit me in the face with coins. I didn't start this thing. I'm angry for a reason. But yet the angry man stirs up strife. Transgressions have already taken place, but the hot-tempered man abounds in transgressions. You see what he does? He takes a bad situation and he always makes it worse. That's what an angry man does. A man without self-control. A man who, as the New Testament says, has outbursts of anger. Now, would it have been hard to just let them drive off and not do anything? Yeah, it would have been hard. But how would things have been different for everybody involved? Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 14, please. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 17. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly. Now, you know we're not talking against righteous anger, the anger of Jesus, because he was defensive of God. Most of the time, our anger is not in defense of God. It's in defense of ourselves. Jesus was angry in defense of God. And Ephesians talks about being angry but handling it. But what we're talking about is the quick temper. The instant reaction. Maybe this goes back to a lack of honor of parents. They say something we don't like and we just immediately brash out with more anger. We take a a situation that's tense and we increase it exponentially. The text says a man of evil devices is hated. In 1 Peter chapter 3, the Bible says, Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. Now, wouldn't that have been weird? Three boys go peeling off to the next red light. This car catches up to them. Drives up, looks over and says, Have a blessed day, boys. And blesses them. That's just crazy, right? That's not going to happen. But let me tell you, if he'd have done that, he wouldn't be in jail today. And some boy who made an innocent mistake wouldn't be dead. And parents wouldn't be in their 21st year of mourning. It is easy to respond in anger, young people. It is easy to respond in anger to parents, to others, to things that you don't like. It takes about two brain cells to get angry and spout some foolishness. But it takes true wisdom, Christianity even, and foresight to not return, even if you perceive that your parents are being evil to you, Not return evil for evil. You'll learn about 15 years from now that they did actually care about you. Trust me on this. I called my mother at 25 and just like tearfully apologized for everything. But give a blessing instead. It takes a potentially elevated situation and it brings it back where it ought to be. He got mad. He got mad. I get mad too. But how we react to that makes such an important impact upon our lives. Proverbs chapter 15 uh, it talks about this as well, verse 1, a gentle answer. This is very similar to 1 Peter 3 and 7 about uh, giving a blessing instead. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I would just say this on this point before we move on. We've all been in that foolish position. I play in what's called the GPGA, the Gospel Preacher Golf Association. Nowhere near as interesting as it sounds. It's just a bunch of preacher dudes and just Christians that we let come. 
and we play golf. And I'm out there, and I hit a shot over to the right, and I'm so mad, but I can't do anything about it because i got three Christians with me. Well, I hit it so badly that I'm way over here, so far off the fairway, that I just go on over there. I get out of the cart, and I go walking over there, and I hit my second shot right in the drink. But nobody's there to see me. So I take that club, and I mean, that club had it coming. And I pounded it and slapped it and threw it down. I felt instantly better. Is that okay if I felt better? What I forgot to notice is there's another hole right there with two elders and a preacher on it watching the whole thing. That's come up every year since 2008. What am I saying? Anger makes you look like a fool. It just does. When it's outburst, when it's uncontrolled. One more thing I want to share with you. Very positive note I hope to leave you with tonight. Luke chapter 12, please. Let's listen to Jesus for a moment. In Luke, the 12th chapter, there's a story that he tells that we will finish with. It's found beginning in about verse 42. So you're in Luke chapter 12 and verse 42. And here's what we have, verse 42. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward? whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. So it's kind of about the final judgment and if you're doing what you're supposed to do when he gets here. Keep reading. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk... The master of that slave (coughs) will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour that he does not know. So the punishment comes unexpectedly and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Now notice this. This is why we're reading it. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. Does that seem fair? One of the guy gets a lot of floggings, the other gets a lighter flogging. Why is that? From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. There are some people of particular blessing in this life that God has invested great favor in their successful futures. Not everybody gets that. Our 22-year-old Vietnamese came over at the age of 14. His father started a business, earned income so that he could put the boy and his older sister through college. He got them into the best high school he could find in Houston. He got her, the sister, enrolled in college. They were able to pay for that college. They had gotten them out of a country where they were facing certain oppression, brought them to a land of freedom. Was that easy? That was not easy at all. Came here, start a business here, save money, set up the education. The father had invested all kinds of sacrifice into the success of the boy, to much, much he had been given. And I think that's what hit the father the hardest. We did everything we could to give you a chance to succeed and you threw it away for some people who want to hurt other people and foolish behavior. I want our young people to recognize that if you're sitting in this room tonight, I mean, just by being here, even though I don't even know you all yet, God has given you much. 
No, you don't know when the judgment day is coming, Luke 12, and how prepared you're going to need to be at, at that exact moment. And you don't know about how all the consequences work, but you, you know this. You've been blessed greatly. You're surrounded by godly people and supportive friends and excellent opportunities and freedom. The Lord has given us much. I could read the story of the parables. Everybody in this room's got more than five talents in your pocket. Remember that? The five-talent man, the two-talent man, the one-talent man. We got five-talent pockets all over this church building tonight. By the old and the young. God has filled us in our pockets with opportunities and blessings. You have every chance to succeed. But can I go ahead and level it out this way? Are you ready for it? To the teenager to whom much has been given, much is required. To the young lady, to whom much has been given, much is required. He has educated you through preaching, teaching, leadership, and godliness in your home. He has challenged you with your purpose to serve God, with your future home and how to get there. And much has been demanded. Now, I was raised in the church. I don't know how many we have who are past these young years who were raised in the church. But something really weird happens for kids who are raised in Christian homes. We feel like we've been cut out from the goodness of the world sometimes. We've been protected in this little bubble, and we've got to get out of this bubble. We've got to get out of this conservative Church of Christ bubble. We've got to get out of this always doing the right thing, going to church all the time bubble. And we start fighting our way out of this thing so we can go make a name for ourselves. And we just throw away, some of us, we throw away all of the beautiful provisions of that bubble of love and sacrifice and mercy. I just so happened to meet the single, no big deal, just the single most amazing woman on the planet when I was 17 years old. I mean, yeah, I'm sure there's some amazing ladies here too. I'll rephrase that. No, I won't. To me, how's that? And she helped me. She, she didn't get out of that bubble. She had godly parents, and she was thankful to have them, and she wanted to honor those parents, and she loved them, and she loved God. She was a teenager. She brought me back. And I still didn't get it until I had two teenagers of my own. All I want to do is give them a chance to succeed and for them to take it. And that's all that the parents in the room tonight want for you. To those that have been given much, much is expected. I'm not going to tell you that if you squander that, you're going to have some consequence like the title of our lesson. But I'm here to tell you that we open up the door for the devil and we just don't want to do that. Hey, real quick about uh, this boy who is now 42, actually. It's been 20 years, 1997. He's been in Huntsville State Penitentiary for 20 years. Got 10 more to go. He really messed up. And I want to give a message as we close tonight to those who maybe have messed up. Not everybody in the room has never done anything wrong yet, and I think I'll see if I'm going to or not. No, some of us have made real mistakes. And we face real consequences. So I just want to ask you a question. What do you think our young man, now 42, would say if he was told that there was a visitor who'd come to Huntsville to see him? And he walked over to the room and sat down and picked up the phone. And on the other side was a man he'd never met before. He has no idea who this person is. And the man on the other side says, I am here to set you free. I will come over there and I will serve the rest of your time for you. And you can walk out of here 
and resume your life to the best of your ability, but all you have to do, all you have to do is show respect for your parents. Be careful who you associate with. Find joy in doing godly things. Control your anger and use this. Use this opportunity to get right with God, to become a Christian, and to serve heaven. Just a quick question. What do you think our young man would say? You mean after he had finished sobbing for 20 minutes? He would say, please, and thank you both. Look, Jesus is that provider, isn't he? No matter how far, how much, what we've done. I hope that you look at this lesson and think, boy, I just, I'm so glad I'm on the right track all the time. I really do hope that you're saying that. But you might not be saying that. But I'll tell you what you can say. I serve Jesus. He takes the sin away. He frees me. He's here for me. He loves me. He will save me. But he has asked some things of me. Are you ready? Who's ready to say please to Jesus and thank you for his provisions? If we can help you enjoy that relationship, he is here now, through the word ready to save, through the instruction sent to you. Come now as we stand together and sing.